name is Brad McLaughlin. This story is called After Many Years, Stops Breathing While Asleep with Smile on Face. From the book collection, Machine of Death. For more information, please visit machineofdeath.net. After Many Years, Stops Breathing While Asleep with Smile on Face by William Grollo. No way, she laughs. You're shitting me. Jill seated on the edge of my desk, in my cubicle. Picture Lady Day, atop a grand piano. She has that effect on a room. Or a cubicle. I am not shitting her. Really? She says wide-eyed. Did you have it certified? I roll my eyes. My mom did. Drove straight from the docks to the nearest Memento Mori office. Hung a big old frame copy on the wall as soon as we got home. I smile. On the fridge, too. I bet, Jill says, laughing even harder now. Her nose wrinkles when she laughs. Eyes crinkle. It's a real laugh. The kind you wish you could see every day of your life. And she had this bumper sticker. My child is going to die way better than your honor student. Now this time I am shitting her. And she knows it. It earns another wrinkled nose. Well, hell, she says, laughing. All I got was brain aneurysm. Boring. She grins, and then suddenly her eyes go wide again. Hey, Ricky, you know what? You should totally go with us to toe tag night at Club Congress this Thursday. You'll be a huge hit. To recap, Jill Hera is currently seated on my desk. Her leg below the skirt is covering my memo pad. She's smiling and, evidently, making plans with me. Well, I guess I have always wanted to be a huge hit. Yes! She says triumphant and holds up her hand for a high five. But with Jill, you don't just get a high five. What you get is some kind of complicated, secret, urban handshake she's invented on the spot. Or maybe, like now, just some additional dap. Thursday, she says, scooting off my desk. A memo slides to the floor and immediately looks abandoned and forlorn. And then, because I just have to push it, I ask way too casually. So, is Brian going too? When she looks at me, her eyes are neither wide nor crinkled with amusement. No, he's not, she tells me and walks away. Brian is her fiance. I am an idiot who will apparently die in his sleep someday. You gotta be fucking kidding me, says one of Jill's friends, leaning forward to get a better look at my shirt. On toe tag night, no one wears tags on their toes. What we do is use a template on our PCs and print a graphic of a toe tag, which we then wear attached to our clothing somewhere, like on a t-shirt. The graphic looks like the toe tag you see on dead bodies, or at least on dead bodies in movies. And yes, sometimes people also include a cartoony image of a toe, or even a whole foot, often bloody. Printed on the tag is your name and how you are going to die. For mine, I had to use a smaller size font. Jill's friends gather around, squinting. Jill's friends. Three of them came with Jill to pick me up at my apartment. Guy from upstairs, Leonard, an older, also single man, happened to be in the lobby when the cab pulled up. Damn, Leonard said, pronouncing the Y. Big pimpin'. The truth was, stepping out to the curb, I didn't feel much like a pimp. More like a pimp's tag-along little brother, who had not himself gone into the family pimping business, but chose coding instead. Plus, to be fair, these women all had legit jobs. 
Smart, too. They just happen to be dressed strikingly. I really don't know how they do it, pull off these transformations. Jill was something in the office, but tonight she was something else again. Shiny, exotic, her hair braided, streaked red, held with these little butterfly clips. The effect was multiplicitous. As if you're used to seeing this already fantastic creature, one of those supernaturally good-looking people straight out of classic mythology. And then, one day she shows up with wings and offers you a ride. I might have stood there all night, staring at Jill, stunned. But luckily, she gave me a high five, followed by a vigorous chest bump, which basically got me moving again. Is he for real, Jill's friend says now, under the club lights, gesturing with her thumb at my tag? Her name, according to her own tag, is Liza. Liza will die from a collision. One of the vaguer predictions. She and the others are all standing around me in a way that feels great and incredibly awkward at the same time. Jill tells them I'm for real, all right? The club is starting to fill up, getting hotter. Karen, with the long black hair, leans forward, reads, leans back. Huh, she says, not my type. She flips her hair over her bare shoulder. I'm more into the whole gunshot wound, fiery motorcycle crash thing, you know? On her tag, Karen has written OD. The O is drawn like a skull with little X's for eyes. One thing I learned right away upon entering the club is that not everybody prints their toe tags on a laptop at home. Most just use Sharpies and blank tags you can get for free at the door. The club is really filling up now, people pouring in, and Jill's friends start to drift with the incoming flow. Liza turning away, Karen already gone, and the last friend, Amy, as if an afterthought, turns to me and says, well, I think it's cute, which I'm then left to interpret on my own. Amy has written never on her tag, as a joke. I feel a hand on my shoulder, Jill. You coming? She tips her head towards the crowded center of the club. It's hot there, pulsing. A bare-chested man beneath a strobe light is performing a dance that appears to somehow involve kung fu. Lots of kicking. I tell her I'm good. Jill smiles, studying me. Relax, she says after a while. Have a drink, hang out, people watch. She pats my shoulder, lightly, once. The bar is strung with skeleton lights. They're already out of urn-shaped mugs when I get there, so I settle for a plastic cup. The girl ordering next to me reads my tag and laughs. Another guy slides up on her right and says, What's your sign? Mine's cancer. Grins. My whole generation stands on the gallows, sharing the same humor. And because this is toe tag night and not a certified dating service, people are free to write pretty much whatever the hell they want about how they're going to die, which can be confusing. Right away, I count no fewer than five people who've each written alcohol poisoning under their name, and you can't say for sure, looking at their sweaty, shouting faces, who's being funny and who's actually on the way. Over there, by the winking Coors sign, a guy named Steve has stuck a tag on his trucker's hat that reads, after multiple orgasms. That's another popular one. But considering it from the perspective of Steve's partner, maybe not so much fun? Then again, like the bumper sticker says, we're all necrophiliacs now. Not quite accurate, but oddly appropriate, I think, to our absurd condition. I lift my beer. In the corner, by the bathroom, a man is groping a woman who's painted her face and lips blue. His face is smeared blue now, too. His eyes, squeezed shut, have pennies tattooed on his lids. Cheers. Seriously? The guy in the misfit shirt asks. Dude, that rocks! He leans forward, slaps my tag. 
You take that shit to a real dating service, he says, swaying towards me slightly. Fuck amateur hour, you know? I nod, smile, swaying a little myself. I know what he's trying to say. I've been told before, from a matchmaking perspective, particularly those looking for an LTR, how I'm going to die is considered extremely desirable. Pussy magnet, as Leonard puts it. Then he went back upstairs to watch his Battlestar Caligula internet porn and eat a single-serving microwave dinner. The guy in the misfit shirt stumbles back into the crowd. On the far wall, they are projecting footage from last year's Dia de los Muertos parade, a festival that has become increasingly popular in the recent years. The images of the parade revelers in full costume superimposed on the clubgoers creates a blurred, surreal effect, and I realize I've been drinking too fast. I turn away towards the stage. The flyers posted everywhere said that tonight would feature the shock punk band Anna Nicole's Death Fridge. Instead, there's an all-woman three-piece called Violet who's playing straight-ahead rock and roll, refreshingly free of irony. I'm bobbing my head, not a thought in it, when suddenly there's Jill. She gives me a high five and then, still clasping my hand, manages to snap her fingers three times in a row without letting go. What's the haps? She says jokingly, her nose crinkled and perfect. Her face is flushed from dancing. She looks wholly alive. A group of goth kids push their way up to the bar. Jill peeks at me over the tops of their heads and smiles. Or maybe they're just dressed like goth kids. If you're a real goth kid, every night basically is kind of toe tag night. And words like suicide make for extremely stylish tattoos. I lean towards Jill and shout over the music. Hey, I shout, cupping my mouth with my hand. I read that in England, they don't have toe tag nights. It's headstone night. Really? Jill scoots down the bar, closer to me. She tilts her head, tucking her hair delicately behind one ear. Our knees touch. Yeah, I continue, my face hot. You know, here lies so-and-so, died of shingles or whatever. I want to say something else, about how their graphics are probably much better, all graveyards and moonlight, but I stop myself because I don't want to sound like a dork. I bet their graphics are killer, Jill says. Hey, she squeezes my arm. We should do a shot. She orders and the bartender brings out a cardboard box painted to look like the machine, and we reach inside and grab our cards. Mine says bourbon. Jill gets Sambuca. Trade ya, she shouts. Her eyes are ablaze, reflecting neon. She winks. We don't trade. We share. One of each. The band is taking a break, and Jill has just finished showing me a new handshake that somehow ended up with both of us locking elbows and wiggling our open hands above our heads like antlers or antennae, laughing helplessly. And for no reason I can name, I ask her why Brian doesn't come to these things. Jill stares at me, pop-eyed for a full second, then gives me the finger. Only it's the finger next to the middle one, which I'm guessing is kind of like a variation she gives to her handshakes. And I'm just glad she's still smiling. A guy immediately slumps onto the stool next to her. Hey, what's your sign? He says through a loose grin. Mine's cancer. Got it. Jill turns on her seat back to me. Liza arrives with a guy in spandex and a cape. He made his tag into a giant crest, emblazoned with the word heroically. He has a gym-built body. The wide chest and shoulders and comparatively small legs make him look, fittingly, like a Bruce Tim character, except for the hair gel. Liza makes no introductions. She whispers something in Jill's ear, and I'm thinking about the people you sometimes read about, who learn that they're going to die from a bullet or flames, but rather than spending their lives hiding or trying to avoid their fate, 
go on to join the police department or become firefighters. Amy, and then Karen, slowly walk up to the bar and nod to Liza and Jill, but not the guy. Amy heads immediately to the front of the drink line and returns almost as quickly, a sweating death head cocktail in her hand. Karen smokes a cigarette and looks at nothing. There passes several moments when no one speaks, which I can only describe as uncomfortable. The spandex guy suddenly remembers the friend he left at the other end of the bar and returns to them in a single bound or so. Amy, I notice, has scratched out never on her tag and written in boredom. I'm glad to have a drink because it gives me something to do with my hands. Later, I'm taking a deep breath, preparing to say something, anything, when the band starts up again, incredibly loud, which is how I know Jill's phone was probably on vibrate. She leans forward on the bar stool, holding the phone to one ear and plugging the other with a finger. A deep crease begins to form on her eyebrows. Suddenly, still bent forward in the same position, she bolts. Don't, I hear her yelling into the phone as she darts headlong through the crowd. I look at the other girls. What an asshole, Liza says, turning to Amy. Brian's tag should read, crushed under own ego. Being a total dickweed, Amy replies. Karen exhales a cloud of gray smoke, cock suckery. I have been trying to follow this exchange, arcing back and forth over my head like a lethal volleyball. Really, I say at last, with a look of what I can only imagine as total astonishment on my face. Why is she going to marry him then? All three turn to me, silent. Hey, dies in sleep, Liza says after what feels like a long time. You've got a good life ahead of you. Why don't you go buy us around? I'm hustling back from the bar, a glass in each hand and one balanced between them on the tips of my outstretched fingers, forming a kind of drink triangle. Liza's non sequitur having seemed somehow perfectly reasonable coming from her, when an entirely different thought finally occurs to me. The finger that Jill gave me earlier was the ring finger, without the ring. I find her by the bathroom, wiping her eyes with toilet paper. He wasn't always like this, she says without preamble, sniffing. He's got one of those fucked up predictions, you know? Like Liza. She wipes the corner of her eye. Attacked. I mean, how fucked up is that? But instead of just dealing, it made him all paranoid and mean. And he never wanted to go out. And when we did stay in, he was always... She stops and blows her nose. Laughs. Fuck it, she says, wet eyes shining. He probably was always like that, and is just using it as an excuse for being a shitty person. She sniffs again and tosses the wadded tissue into her purse. That's what I've been telling Amy anyway. From the stage, the bass player begins an elaborate, extended solo. Um, listen, I say lamely. Amy and everyone, they want to leave. Go to this party they heard about. I attempt to wry smile. Karen says the place is dead. Jill looks at me seriously and doesn't break eye contact. I'm really tired, she says at last. Can I just stay at your place? I am standing outside in the warm Arizona night air, waiting for a cab. I'm a little drunk, maybe, and trying to make things fit together in my mind. Me, Jill, Jill and me. When the cab pulls up, we get in, sliding to the center of the hard vinyl seat. The door handle on my side is made almost entirely of duct tape. Jill smells like flowers and other people's cigarettes. Her presence fills the cab. Jill. I give the driver the address to my apartment, and I'm trying to remember. Is there a dirty cereal bowl on the living room table? Clothing balled on the floor? Underwear? 
The driver's accent has a recognizable musicality, which I think places him from India. The air conditioner in the cab is not strong, but Jill and I stay huddled together in the back. It seems like the most natural thing in the world to put my arm around her. My arm lies stiffly across the back of the seat. I don't understand those dating services, she says to me. All those heart attacks and tumors getting together, it all seems so grim. I nod, but it's dark in the back of the cab. I like yours, though, she says. It's sweet. Sweet like, that baby is so sweet, I say, smiling nervously. Or sweet like, dude, sweet. She doesn't answer, but moves her body underneath my arm. And then it is. It's the most natural thing in the world to let my arm fall across her shoulders. We cross seven intersections under green lights, and all I can feel or hear is my own heartbeat. I want to blurt out something to the driver, to ask him if it's true that in India, everyone who goes to the machine gets card after card after card, thereby proving reincarnation. But I know that some cultures are much more private and reverent about these things. They don't wear tags. There's a new weight to Jill's body now, and her breathing has become heavier, more even. She's asleep. I look down at her hair on the top of her head, braided and clipped with tiny butterflies. Someday, a blood vessel will rupture inside her brain and end it. Someday. But who knows? Maybe after many years. Maybe with smile on face. It happens. We pass an apartment complex. Not mine, but like it. Saguaro cacti planted out front and spotlit, their limbs held stiffly at attention, like sentinels on guard, row upon row. I tell people I don't, but the truth is, I do think about it sometimes. My death. And yes, it does bring me comfort, but not as much as you might think. Like just knowing a story has a happy ending alone doesn't make it a good story. All you have is the effect without cause, the then without the if. And life, I think, doesn't work like that. You can't just plot it out on a line graph, point to point, straight through the end. It operates in many dimensions, each action, each decision, branching out in complex, often unexpected directions. We pass the turn that would take us to my street, the cab driver taking the long way around, the meter running, my arm around Jill, tingling slightly, and I don't say anything yet because I know where we're headed. And when we get there, and step out of the cab and into my apartment and her eyes are open and anything is possible, do I make the right decision then? Do things begin or do they end? Do we, for example, kiss? For more stories about the machine of death, visit our website, machineofdeath.net. This audio file is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means feel free to share it, send it around or adapt it however you like, but please don't sell it. I'm Brad McLaughlin, and thank you for listening.